So tonight we are in week three of our Vision Sundays, and we're answering the question, why do we exist? So um, we're going to go straight to the mission statement, and this being week three, you guys should know this off by heart. Um, obviously, those who are here for the first time, you are excused until next week. Um, but even Benjamin, Benjamin, we want to hear you. Okay. Um, all right, so on three, let's read the mission statement. One, two, three. We exist to honor God. Okay, that was good. That was a good attempt. Holy chaos. So let's try it one more time. So on three, one, two, three. In every nation. Come on. <laughs> so, guys, this is our mission statement. Not as every nation, Tuane. I felt not as every nation, Tuane. Not even as every nation, Southern Africa. This is our mission statement as every nation global in more than 80 countries. And we're trusting God that we will reach every nation. That's our mandate. We're called by God to reach every nation. Um, so, if you visit any every nation church any, anywhere in the world, Yes, some of the cultures might differ, etc., but that is the mission statement. That is the reason why we exist. And it starts off with the word what? The, literally the first word. What's the, the first word? We. No, man, the first word of the mission statement. You on. <laughs> we. What does that mean? It means it's not... It's not you pointing towards the stage saying, we. <laughs> it's not you pointing towards the person next to you saying, we. It's us. And that mission statement is only possible when it is us. It's only possible. And that's what we spoke about in the first week that we said we, we exist to honor God. And if you were to ask that question over everything that you do, the way you manage your time, your finances, your relationships, your thought life, what comes out of your mouth, does this honor God? The Holy Spirit will be very quick to say, no, no, it doesn't, or yes, it does. There's no gray area when it comes to the honor of God. But I, wanna, I want you to picture a world where every person, every individual, every family unit, every marriage, every relationship, every business sphere, every area of society is redeemed and it honors God. That's the goal. We want to see every sphere of society redeemed for the honor of God. That every relationship, every marriage, every single person will exist for the honor of God. That's an audacious goal, right? So how do we accomplish that? By establishing churches and campus ministries. And the first week we spoke about our volunteer ministry where you can get involved and you can serve with us. But if you have your phone out, you can um, quickly take it out in church. That's cool. It's so difficult nowadays. Like, you can't say to people, hey, don't be on your phone in church. And they're like, hey, it's my Bible app. <laughs> so be on your phone in church. It's fine. Um, but then we've got an online platform where we try to streamline all of our communication. So if you go to highfelt.online, you'll get to a page that looks like that. Um, but on that online platform, you'll see there's a space that says Sermon Library. And there you'll be able to catch up with the previous sermons 
on the front page, there's also a place that says, serve with us. And that's what we spoke about during that first week, is that unless every member does its part, we won't be able to accomplish that audacious goal of seeing the honor of God restored in every nation. And we spoke about the extreme privilege that you and I have to be part of the body of Christ, and that's by God's design. So every single person was created by God to be in relationship with God, but also in relationship with other people. And when you become born again, when you're a Christian, Jesus adds you to the church. So it's not something that you one day say, hey, I think it's a cool idea for me to today become part of a church. No, that's just you responding to the call of God in your life. Because Jesus adds you to the church. And we spoke about that, I think, in, in the book of Acts. Then last week, some of you were here last week. You guys had an incredible time just worshiping and ministering to one another. Um, and we spoke about the aspect of our mission statement that says we are spirit-empowered. So a person, every single person, is either spiritually dead or spiritually alive. And you can only become spiritually alive when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Then you receive the Holy Spirit and He lives within you. And that is a marvelous mystery, that this perfect holy God would choose to come and reside within you. You don't need to come to a building to experience the presence of God, the presence and mission of God within you. That's incredible. But now also, we can't accomplish the mission of God without the power of God. And that's why we believe we're called to be a spirit-empowered church, not a strategy-empowered or a preaching-empowered or a man of God-empowered or a worship team-empowered, a spirit-empowered church. And tonight, we're going to speak about being a socially responsible church. So before we continue, let's pray. Father, we thank you just for tonight. We thank you that we can be in your presence tonight, Lord. We thank you that you have a word stored up for us, Lord. But I thank you, Lord, that we have this glorious hope of the risen King Jesus, the name above all names. As we, we delve into the word, Lord, we delve into what it means to be a socially responsible church. And I pray, Lord, that you'll come and open up our hearts and that, that you'll come and minister the word directly and deeply into areas of our lives. I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be stocked to receive your word. And may the word accomplish what it desires to accomplish tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I've got my Bible there for display purposes because I realize now I've got the, the scripture in my, on my notes. So, but we'll be taking a look at the book of Acts chapter 2. And if you understand, obviously you get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you get the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we read about the first church. So obviously, if we want to know what the church should look like, we go to the first expression of the church, and there you'll find the truest expression of the church. And we'll be taking a look at Acts 2 from verse 36 to verse 47, but we'll be doing it in reverse. Okay, you guys ready for that? So everyone, turn your chair around. No, oh well, we're not doing it anyway, so no point in me saying I'm joking. I remember the times when people used to listen to the preacher. And, um, <laughs> okay, verse 46 to verse 47. So I, I'm not going to literally read it backwards. I'm just going to start at the back and read it from there. So it starts off by saying, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. 
The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I don't know what that looks like. But we need to understand that when the Scripture speaks about people being added daily to the church, it's not speaking about in our Western mindset of Christianity where we sing a song and say, guys, and if you feel loved by Jesus right now, you want to receive Jesus, raise your hand. People raise their hands. Great. You're a Christian now. And then you don't really know what it means, and you go on from there, and you try to be a Christian, but you don't know how, and you struggle, and you become disappointed. For these two people to become Christians, there was the very real risk of them losing their lives. So for them to become Christian would mean it was real. And there was an absolute change of nature, a change of behavior. One day they were living one way. The next day their lives were completely different. And some of them would have had to make a decision to leave behind families, businesses, whatever it is, in, able to say, uh, in order to say yes to Jesus. And this happened daily. That daily people were being set free from sin. Daily people were being set free from depression. Daily people were being set free from demonic oppression. Daily people were being set free from just bad relationships or whatever it might be. Daily people were encountering this incredible love of God that changes people's lives forever. Daily. Imagine that. Imagine that quickly for your neighborhood, wherever you live. Imagine daily going out into your neighborhood, whether it's in your complex, your estate, your street, your school, your campus, and daily you see people giving their life to Jesus. Imagine that. So how on earth did they get there? So verse 42 to verse 45 gives us a little bit of insight. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Ish, can we erase that part, like from verse 44? Yeah, can we maybe take that out, Nadine, like, to see if there's a way that we only get verse 42 and 43. We can't because it's in the Bible. <laughs> Did she? <laughs> Stupid. <gasps> yeah, that's the only way you can get it out. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. You see, in Christianity, there's this very expect, real expectation that you should actually obey the Bible. <laughs> like when Jesus speaks, there's this very real expectation that we should actually do what he tells us to do. But that is so challenging. That is so, so challenging. So there's this community of people who decide to be so personal with one another that the other person's needs is not their needs, it's our needs. That their lack is not their lack, it's our lack. But their provision is not their own problem, it's our solution. But that is so deeply challenging because the only way that you can get that personal is when you're willing to take a risk. You see, for you to be able to build relationships that look like that, you need to be able to take the risk of being disappointed. You need to be able to take the risk of being hurt, being let down, trying and trying and not seeing someone respond. But then also you need to be willing to 
pay a personal cost. There's a personal sacrifice involved when it gets to being personal. Now, those of you who are in relationships or getting married soon or who are married, for you to get where you guys are, there's incredible risk involved. No, none of us are guaranteed of tomorrow. So there's incredible risk involved. But Johanna had to make some very real personal sacrifices for that marriage to work and vice versa. There's a laying down of self in order for the greater good, the greater community, the greater objective to be successful. And there's no way that you'll get there without being willing to take that personal step, to take the risk, but also to be willing to um, make a personal sacrifice. And what you are saying is that there's something on the other side of this sacrifice that is worth more than what I'm holding on to. There is something on the other side of the sacrifice that is worth more than what I'm holding on to. Do you guys get that? There's something that I see that is a greater treasure than the treasures that I currently have. Therefore, I'm willing to let go. Now, for me, this is really challenging. Because I think when we think about this in this way, the risk of getting hurt, the risk of being disappointed, the risk of losing your comfort, the, the risk of having to sell something so that someone else can have food, that is deeply challenging. And I'm not preaching this to you. I'm saying the Scripture is preaching this to us. And sometimes we don't want to get too personal because we don't want to be put in a situation where you will be confronted with having to give up some of your comfort, with having to take a risk or maybe making a personal sacrifice. So we choose to stay on the edges of relationships. We choose to stay on the edges of community, even church community, because I don't want to get involved too deep because it becomes too risky. But if I, if I stay far enough back, then I can see it, but it won't cost me anything. But here's the thing. Unless you're in it, you can't benefit from it. Unless you're in it yourself, there's no benefit to it for you. So how did they get there? Verse 36. Therefore, so this was Peter preaching the, the, the gospel message to them. Um, and he says to them, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You see, there's this personal revelation that needs to take place in every person's life, that Jesus was put on the cross not because of the Roman authorities. He was put on the cross because of sin. He, he agrees. He was put on the cross because of sin. And you and I stand guilty. You and I stand guilty. When Peter preaches this and it says, this Jesus whom you crucified, you can write your name there. This Jesus, Yaku, whom you crucified. This Jesus, Force, whom you crucified. Dylan, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's Lord and Christ. He is the Savior of the world. And there's this place where you, you stand accused, you stand guilty because of Jesus being on the cross or for, for Jesus being on the cross. And then verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What's our way out? If I'm guilty because of putting Jesus on the cross, what's my way out? Is there a way for me to be set free from this guilt and this condemnation that I'm under right now? Is there a way out for us? What shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the, the promise is to you and your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. What a glorious picture. He says that place when you come to a personal revelation, that you stand accused, you stand guilty because of your sin. Jesus is put on the cross because of our sin. But then because of the cross, there's a way out for you and me, and only because of the cross. And when you choose to respond to that glorious message, you run into the cross, and guess what stays behind? Everything else. When you run through the cross, you're only clothed with Christ. Nothing else is, sticks to you. It's only Christ as you run through the cross of Jesus. And here's the beautiful picture that we see portrayed. For the gospel to become personal, there was this great risk involved. There was this great risk involved. The Bible says that many are called but few are chosen. It says that wide is the way and many choose to follow it and narrow is the way that leads to life and few choose to follow it. Many people will not choose to respond to the gospel. But yet Jesus took the risk to die on the cross. On the cross, There was personal sacrifice involved for God. God steps into our brokenness. He steps into our deep need. And then we stand before God fully known. And here's the thing. God knows your life. You don't have to tell God what's happening in your heart for Him to say, Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's new. And He makes a note. He says, I'll have to forgive that as well. <laughs> God knows the deepest deep. He's, the Bible says that He searches the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. Sometimes we do things that look good on the outside, but our intentions are evil. God discerns your intentions. You stand before God naked and ashamed. You stand before God guilty. You stand before God in deep need. But because of the cross and the blood of Jesus that now clothes you, you stand before God deeply, deeply loved. Deeply loved. Regardless of what's happening in your life right now, regardless of whether you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you stand before God deeply loved. I need two volunteers. Maybe you one from the one side and then um, another strong guy. And maybe you can come up. <laughs> come, I need the strongest guy in the room to come up. Okay, so you'll stand on this side, okay? but you'll only do what I tell you to do, okay? Because Johan is very strong, <laughs> okay? And you'll be on this side. Um, and I'll tell you now what you're going to do. So there's this space where, where God wants to reach into your life. But the gospel comes and it deals, with, it deals with your deepest idols. Now, whom of you know that you have idols? You have things that you love more than Jesus, okay? If your hand is not up, then um, I know you're tired because of the, 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 the weight of sin that's on you. <laughs> but there's good news at the end, guys. There's good news at the end. We all have idols, all right? And these, like you have primary idols, things that give you comfort, things that make you feel safe, things that give you security, things that 
feeds your approval, your need to be loved and accepted, and your need for significance and power and purpose to have meaning in life. And you have all of these different things. So I'm in this space where I'm holding on to, and I actually need two hands for this. How on earth am I going to do this? Um, I need a third volunteer. Can you? Okay, you can stand behind me, Satan. I mean, uh, <laughs> okay. So Divan represents the world and everything that the world has to offer. Now, friends, we make the world the enemy. We make relationships the enemy. We make money the enemy, sometimes from a church perspective. You must let go of money. You must let go of relationships. You must let go of a fancy car and a fancy house and all of the things. You mustn't have dreams in your job. Those things aren't the enemy. It's me holding on to them for things that they cannot give me. That's the enemy. I hold on to a broken relationship because it gives me a false sense of acceptance. I, I chase after my career because it gives me a false sense of purpose or significance. I hold on to my money because it gives me a false sense of security and power. We hold on to things that has no ability to save us or change us. And the ultimate end of that is just greater disappointment. And then you go from one relationship to another relationship. You go from one job to another job. You go from one saving to another saving to another saving, and you'll never have enough. You'll buy a new car, and three months later, it's not new anymore. And you need to buy another new car. It just keeps on repeating, and there's no hope. There's no way out. And the Bible says the ultimate end of this road is death. But then there's this glorious picture of the hand of God reaching in. Hand of God reach in. Hand of God. <laughs> No, don't touch me. <laughs> and now I'm stuck in this place where, where the hand of God reaches in, but God will not force himself on you because what God desires from you is a deep love relationship and love has to be, um, it has to be a, a choice, a personal choice. I have to choose God. Now I become aware of the hand of God by his grace and I reach out. Now, I'm saying, God, I am so aware of your presence, but I'm living like this. And oh, my word, will this hand tug at me and try and pull me away from the love of God. But now I'm saying, God, you are here, but why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you setting me free from this broken relationship or this deep need of um, having to fit in everywhere or my insecurities or whatever it is? God, why aren't you giving me a breakthrough? I don't understand. If you love me, why don't you pull me out? But it's because I'm still holding on. And it's only when I release here that I get to hold on to all of God. And there's no other way, friends. There's no other way for you to experience the fullness of God for you unless you let go of the things that has no ability to define you or save you or change you. It's when you let go and you hold on to Christ with everything that you got. And now you turn your back on everything that used to give you identity, that used to give you security, that used to give you purpose. And say, God, you alone. You alone. Thank you, my super volunteers. Okay, you can get, let go now. He says, God never lets go. <laughs> Such soft hands. <laughs> on this side. <laughs> you see, the moment that you let go here, the moment you let go of the things that defines you, that gives you purpose, significance, and security, the moment you let go, your hands are able to open up and you can give. 
because now I'm not giving away something that defines me because I find my greatest definition in Christ, in God alone. And then your response in this is a deep thankfulness. And from this space, you can be good stewards of your life. You can be a good steward of your life. And so I'm not saying this as something that you need to go and do. I need you to really hear me tonight. I'm not saying you must go and be a good steward of your life. I'm saying to you, you can be a good steward of your life. There's a promise when you hold on to Christ. When you hold on to Christ, you will be a good steward of your life. You will be a good steward of your time. You will be a good steward of your relationships. You'll be a good steward of your finances. In the Bible, we speak about tithing and offerings, and sometimes that word is like, ooh, don't speak about money. Um, Jesus spoke more about money than any other topic because it is such a tempting thing that wants to define you. And as long as you hold on to money for definition, whether it's security or purpose, whatever it might be, you will not be able to experience the faithfulness of God that wants to provide for you. God is a good father and he wants to provide for you. But as long as you're seeking provision in the world, you will not experience the provision of God to its full extent. It's only once you let go and you realize, oh, it's only paper. It has no ability, no power. And you see the power of God at work through your life where you can be faithful with your tithes and offerings, where you can, use, you can see your finances accomplish something that is so much greater than your life individually. When we speak about that mission statement to go to the ends of the earth, friends, that means that some of you will have to pack your bags and go to another nation, another city, so that the gospel can be proclaimed where it is not. That means that some of you will need to open up your pockets so that we can enable more people to go. But when those things no longer define you, it's not that difficult to leave behind. And that's what we see in this picture in the first church. When they step through the cross, Everything else stayed behind. And the only thing that they were clothed with was Jesus. Now imagine a community that looks like that. A community where people live so selflessly, not for their own sakes, not only for their own interests, but for the sake of others. Where we as a church get to care so much for one another that the people on the outside who don't believe the same envy what we have because they see genuine love among the people of God. And then the people of God have such generous hearts where they say, you are on the outside, come in. Daily, people were being added to the church, those who were saved. How were they saved? As the church, the people of God, you and me, pull people in and say, you don't have to be on that side where you need to try and find your own identity and purpose and all of those things. You can find it in God. Imagine the impact of such a community in a city. You see, we are called to be a socially responsible church. The first thing we need to be responsible with is the gospel. To allow the gospel to change your life. And oh my word, it will challenge you. In my own life, we've been challenged when um, I remember we were reaching out with a guy um, and he got engaged, and then we started journeying with him, and him and his fiancée were living together. And, and he came to me and he said, listen, I'm really convicted that I need to move out. Um, and then um, I was like, that proposes a problem for me. <laughs> Where will you stay? No, he doesn't know yet. <laughs> so my wife and I spoke, and I said, well, then he'll have to stay with us. Um, and for three months in our two-bedroom apartment, where the one bedroom is my study, <laughs> 
um, he stayed with us, and it was challenging. Um, but it's a glorious price to pay for the sake of someone else being able to live in freedom and victory. Um, it's challenging when, when God positions you in communities that are broken, that are so different to yours, when you have to reach out to someone who's struggling with a drug addiction, and you don't know whether tonight he might sleep on the street. That happened with a guy. And, and I'll be vulnerable with you guys. It was easier for me to spend money to book him an Airbnb than to say, come and sleep in my house because I was uncomfortable. And sometimes money can be the excuse to not allow things to get too personal because when it gets too personal, it gets too risky. <laughs> and it might cost me more than what I'm willing to give. But the only way that we'll be able to step through that barrier is not when we just give more and force ourselves to give more, when we reflect back and say, Jesus, the one who gave everything. Only then are we able to express community like this, and then we will be socially responsible. Being socially responsible is caring enough for people that we will take the risk, that we will make a personal sacrifice so that others can experience the glory of God, the goodness of God, the freedom that is only found in God. Those of you who are here for the first time, I have a little surprise for you. We, we end off our sermon with um, a quick reflection time. All right. So if you are alone, I need you to find one other person. Okay. Um, and then we're going to give you two questions that we want you to reflect on. All right, so first find, no, go back, don't show them the, the, the crypt notes, Nadine, um, this group. <laughs> first find a partner. <laughs> okay, so you don't have to go too far. All right, who doesn't have a partner? All righty. Okay, so the two, the two reflection questions. How can you allow the gospel to come closer to you personally? In other words, where are you resisting God? See, the gospel can only have its full effect when you allow God to get personal with you. So where can you allow, or how can you allow the gospel to come closer to you personally? And then, how can you allow the gospel to take you closer to people? Where is there an area where you really struggle to trust God or maybe just step out of your comfort zone? Um, so how can you allow the gospel to take you closer to people? We're going to give you a couple of minutes just to reflect on that.